All right, you may be seated. I was um, thinking this morning about the words that Jesus spoke when he said, it's essential that I go away that I may send another one in my place. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, and I was thinking how that must have really taken them back, having seen what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry, to tell them that it's important, it's essential, it's expedient that I go, that I may send another one in my place. Thanks, guys. And then he went on to say, and he shall be called the comforter. And then we see that verbiage from the comforter through Jesus that I will never leave you, never forsake you. We hear that song that he's good and he's never going to let you go. That when we're in the hand of God, we literally have a promise, an assurance that he's never going to leave us abandoned. He's never going to leave us forsaken. He's never going to see us uh, begging for bread, the righteous forsaken. But yet, oftentimes in life, we feel, and you feel, and you know we all do it, that we feel like God is a million miles away from us. Have you ever felt that way? Just be real honest this morning. That you pray, and you feel like your prayers aren't getting any further than the ceiling. I want you to understand that oftentimes in our life, there's one of two dynamics taking place in our prayers. One... God is giving us an answer, maybe not of yes, maybe it's maybe, maybe it's wait, or maybe even it's no. We see that in the Apostle Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and following, where he prayed three times for God to deliver him from this thorn in his flesh. We don't really know exactly what was, what was ailing the Apostle Paul. Some say it was his eyesight. It doesn't tell us, so not really an important issue to know what it was exactly he was praying for. But we do know that it was a big enough issue that it was something that he was asking God to deliver him, not once, not twice, but three times and then he came back with the answer no I'm not going to deliver you from that because it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect the word perfect there literally means to be made manifest so that others may see the strength of me God through your weakness the beauty of that is that that's the dynamic when we get the nose in our life when we're praying we feel like God has abandoned us we feel like God is forsaking us when in fact he's not done that at all sometimes he says yes and how many of you love when he says yes when you're praying come on now get your hands up wave them at me like you just don't care But how many of you know sometimes he says wait, and wait is a hard thing. You take the life of Lazarus, for example. He was dead and buried four days. In all accounts, he's four days late, yet he shows up not to deliver him of sickness, but to call him back out of death. Sometimes when God says wait, he's bringing you to a greater miracle. Amen? Sometimes he says no because he's wanting you to be weak so that what? It's in your weakness that his strength is made perfect in you. When I'm weak, then he is strong. But there's another aspect to this. And that's when we pray because we have a wrong heart in our prayer life. We, have a pure, we don't have a pure heart. We don't have pure motives. We're praying for things. And maybe even sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking we have the right posture of heart. Because God, he tells us time and time again, there's actually seven places in Scripture where he says, God doesn't look on the outward of man, but he does what? He looks to the heart of man, the intention of man, the seat of man's emotions. In Acts, when Judas Iscariot uh, hung himself, of course, at the end of his betrayal of Jesus, he went and hung himself. They had to go out and seek out and find another disciple. But even the disciples had well enough understanding now of the resurrected Savior that they didn't want to pick a man because they might choose erroneously. They might choose out of another intention, another agenda. So what did they do? They, they asked the Holy Spirit, said, you choose because why? Because you look into the heart of man. So they choose Matthias. So today, I want us to kind of break down, if we can, talking in the context of bodybuilding. A couple weeks ago, we talked about 
having the mind of Jesus. The most important thing, and often we constitute the two as the same, a mind of Jesus and a heart for Jesus, but they're two different things. A mind of Jesus came from the Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was God, saw equality with God not to be something within his grasp, who humbled himself even to the point of a cross, a cruel, rugged cross, and he died willingly. He wasn't murdered. He gave himself willingly as a lamb to the slaughter. Put on the mind of Christ. Give yourself over to the things of God. Today we're talking about having a heart, a pure heart for God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to just read one verse today. So it'll be very short. But it falls in the context of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Within that, the Beatitudes. Blessed is the... And he goes on to list all of these things where we're blessed by these types of living arrangements in our life. And in this context, he places this one verse. And it really steers to the core of the matter of what we're going to be talking about. About today, But before I go there, I was doing some research this week, getting ready for this message, and I realized that as we survey the ways that people can die on the earth today, and I went to UNICEF, I went to all the different ways in America, all the different ways in the foreign countries, that all the different ways we could die. We could die cruel types of death, terroristic deaths. We could die at the hand of a terrorist. We can die at the hand of being in prison. We can die from cancers, and that's affected and impacted so many of us in this room today and so many more that we see that. That being more of a commonality. But all of these different ways that we can die, drunk driving, all these different things, suicide, they none of them come even close to the number one cause of death in America, and that is heart disease, cardiovascular disease. And interestingly, if you look at the four main things that we can do that we consider to be correctable causes of heart disease, notwithstanding things like genetic disorders and so forth, but things that are are, are avenues that we can put our hands on, things that we can change, things that we can manipulate, if you will, to, to change the trajectory of us having heart disease. One is, of course, having an unhealthy diet. The way we eat is, is one of the huge catalysts leading us to heart disease. The way we eat, and I see David over there smiling, because he loves him some meat and potatoes. I mean, you, you can't go. Have you ever been to a Japanese restaurant? Anybody? David goes into a Japanese restaurant and wants a bottle of ketchup. I don't even know what that means. It's, you need soy. Okay, anyway. Sushi, ketchup. I mean, everything. Ice cream, ketchup. Anyway. Unhealthy diet is one of those things that can lead to heart disease. Another thing that kind of co-labors with that is not having any type of proper exercise in, in, your, in your lifestyle. We have become a generation of stinking couch potatoes. Everybody said amen. Come on, if you just say amen, you're sitting back going, dude, don't speak too loud. I'm sleeping, you know. But here's the deal, man. We have become that. I mean, our kids now, I mean, I'm 47 years, I'll be 47 in July. And, and I look back, I remember, I mean, I know we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have, uh, we had Atari. I mean, matter of fact, before that, we had like something else that you turn this little knob and this little paddle went up. And y'all remember that? You just, boom. You know, that whole deal, and it turned out real fast. It was all over the place. It was awesome. But see, today, everybody's sitting back doing nothing. We have no exercise. We don't get out and walk. We don't get out and play anymore. You tell the kids, go outside and play. They go, oh, this has been a tough week. Seriously, dude. Seriously, go play. Man, I'd do something crazy. My mom would send me outside and play in the dirt and play outside. till I mean, she'd have to call me, man, at night time, you know, to come home because I wanted to play outside. We are creating a culture of lazy young people. And I'm not being ugly or disrespectful. It's just the truth. We're creating a laziness because we ourselves have become very slothful and very lazy. So not only an unhealthy diet, not only um, lack of exercise, but also things like smoking. 
putting contaminants in our body, things that just don't belong there. I mean, it's just the reality of things that lead us to heart disease. But here's what I submit to you today. This is not a, a medical talk today. I want you to know that there's a, there's a parallel. There's a, a metaphor that kind of really extends us into a, to, to an allegory. Some we could talk a long time on this, and that's this context. That the church also today is dying and decaying from heart disease. The church has lost her heartbeat for the things that beat God's heart. We've lost our passion for the things that God is passionate about. We have lost the ability, hear me, to go beyond the scope of just going to church and thinking somehow that that's going to change our life. I want to be really, really honest with you. You can come to church every single week and never see Jesus Christ in your life. You, you have to exercise your faith. The Bible says that faith without works in James is what? Say it with me. It's dead. Listen, the reality is, is because I'm a child of God, there's, a, there's an outflow of my life. I'm going to put exercise to it. I'm going to exercise my faith. My faith operates under a lively hope. If you look at that translation, it means there's a hope that it's alive. And that's that which is found in Christ Jesus. People who exercise feel better. How many of you know that? But guess what? In your faith, if you exercise your faith and you put legs to it, you're going to feel better. We also put contaminants in our life, much like smoking and the nicotine and the things that we put into our body that causes heart disease in a physical matter. It also causes spiritual heart disease. When, and I'm going to show you this. We allow just anything to go in our body. And probably the greatest breakdown of the church is what we're feeding our life. Just like with real physical heart disease, the church has lost her heartbeat for God. And a lot of it, it's based on what we're consuming. We'll read one, one verse to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It's our text today. Blessed are the pure at heart. Everybody say pure at heart. Say it again. Say pure at heart. Blessed are the pure at heart. Watch this. What is the hope through this beatitude? What is the blessedness that comes out of having a pure heart? Because Jeremiah 17 says this. The heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it. That's the antithesis of that. You realize that people today have this mindset that, let me just follow my own heart. Let your heart or your conscience be your guide. God help you if you have lived that mandate to allow your heart to be the influence of the things that you do. Because Jeremiah said, the heart is despisable. It is deceitfully wicked. It is full of poison. And guess what? Who can know it? I'll tell you who can know it. My God can know it. And the blessed are the pure at heart. Here's the promise. For they shall see God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word that you hold above your own name. Help us to rightly divide it today. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said amen. I submit to you today, the church needs a heart transplant. Maybe we can salvage the heart that we have by recommissioning it. Maybe we can have heart surgery Maybe we, maybe we have not gone so far in our, in our spiritual heart disease that we can't maybe start eating right, start living right, start feeding, start exercising our faith differently. Maybe, maybe we haven't gone so far, but I submit to you that across the board of, of, the, of the church corporately, we realize that a lot of people just need to have a heart transplant. We'll give you four real quick principles, things, if you will, that I think we need to do and the last two culminate on what the outflow of that is. Number one, I believe with all of my heart today, and you know how flippantly we use that. You'll hear me do that all through the day sermon. It's because we use that so flippantly. But I do. I believe with my heart today that we need to protect our heart. 
The wisest man to ever live, according to the word of God, was Solomon, King David's son, who went on to be commissioned to build the temple. The wisest man ever lived set his son down, and he didn't tell him about going and sowing his wild oats. He didn't tell him about going and living a little bit. He didn't tell him about just go and claim it. He didn't tell him the Nike cliche of just do it. He didn't tell him any of those things, although in and of themselves are, are, are just part of our culture because they have a worldview perspective. But a biblical worldview suggests what we find in, in Proverbs 4, I think is in 23, where he says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, son. For out of it flows the issues of life. Another translation says it this way. It says, above all else, above all things that I can tell you, coming from the wisest man ever to live, telling his own son, a man of his own loins, a man that he's going to see grow up and be great and do great things, he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says it this way. Guard your heart above all else for it determines, watch this, the course of your life. Guys, that's, that's so incredible when I break this down to realize that if my heart is impure, if my heart is broken, if my heart is unjust, the reality is I'm going to flow out of that a broken life, an undone life. That we have this mindset <clears throat> that we could just change our mind about something. According to the scripture, that's not exactly true. We got to change the epicenter of where all things flow. That's your heart. What, you ask your little children, where does Jesus live? What, what will they say? He lives in my heart. Say it with me. He lives in my heart. Well, you know, good and well, he doesn't live in the organ that's pumping blood through your veins. But he lives here because that's what we teach. Well, you know, the Bible says that, that we need to have a heart for God. That the heart is the source, the wellspring of life, if you will. Everything flows out of that. And if we don't guard and protect our heart, here's what I'm saying to you. you got to stop just allowing anything in and to and out of your life. It's real easy for me, Andrew, to stand up here and say, don't watch this type of movie, don't listen to this kind of music. If I did that, it would be a mass exodus. Y'all need to turn it off this station, turn it over here on this station. Guess what? You can listen to the Joy FM and still find your way straight to a devil's hell. It's not about that. You could go to every rated G movie and still miss Jesus completely. So I'm not going to sit up here and say, just only change the things that you look at. But I make no mistake about it. If I take this bottle and I pour dirty, murky, nasty water in it, when I open the top and pour it out, guess what's going to come out? Dirty, nasty, murky water. What you put in your heart is what's going to come out. And we are senseless to think that we can feed our soul, our heart, with things that are contaminated, much like the physical, don't think for a minute that your smoking is going to do something great for your body. It's not. It's going to build, watch this, a plaque in your arteries and your vessels that are going to harden and cause uh, your, your flow not to, the blood flow not to, to go through freely, ultimately could create a what? A blockage. Guys, the same is true for our spiritual heartbeat. When we put things in our life, then we have a plaque of bitterness that stifles God's life-giving blood that flows into our heart and out so that we may be an outward expression of Jesus. How are we going to live a life of grace showing to other people when we ourselves are contaminated with a lack of grace? Some of us have a plaque in our spiritual heart of unforgiveness. It's interesting. Jesus said these words. He said, 
Don't think that if you can't forgive your brother, that the Father is in heaven will forgive you. Some people take that and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you really saying that God's just like going, ha, I'm not going to let you be forgiven if you, it's not like that. Here's what he's saying. Here's the trajectory of that. If I realize in my heart of hearts, there's that word, if I see what God has forgiven me from, listen, the natural instinct outflow of my life is to forgive anybody regardless of what they've done to me. I can't not forgive as an outflow of my life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Some of us have a, 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 not only a plaque buildup in our hearts and our spiritual heart and our arteries, if you will, stifling the free movement of God's life-giving blood into our life. Not only do we have a plaque of bitterness, not only do we have a, a plaque of unforgiveness, some of us have a plaque of cynicism. We, we've made life a joke. Hey, I'm all about having fun. I promise you. Aren't we, Dave? We love to have a good time. We love to have a fun time. I love to ride motorcycles, don't I, Michael? I love to have fun and do stuff like that. But the reality is, watch this. When it's time to get serious about this book, guess what? I've come to a place where I can shut the TV off. I can turn off Facebook. I can turn off the stuff, the world that influenced me, some good, some not so good. And watch what I can do. I can feed myself, and I don't become cynical about life. Guess what? Just because... The preacher out in Texas is not who you think you ought to be. Or the man of God across town hasn't been kind to you. Or you see Christians walking through Walmart and they act like the world. Don't become cynical and think that's the picture of all things Christianity. Because the reality is that's not all things Christianity. There are some good people in the world. There are people that will give you the shirt off of their back, the last dollar they have. I know people in this room who don't have enough money to even know where their next bill is coming from. But if you were to go up to them today and say, I need blank, they'd give you blank plus something because they have a heart don't become cynical when you become cynical your body your heart becomes calloused when your heart becomes callous because you've been hurt one too many times you ultimately have a spiritual blockage that disallows the move of God into your life that gives you life that gives you hope that gives you joy that gives you joy unspeakable Jeremiah uh, I think it was Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. Some of us may not have a lot of reasons to be happy. But if you're a child of the most high God, you have every reason to have joy unspeakable. Got to protect your heart. Number two, real quickly. We must clean our heart. Because the reality is, is we're not all going to protect it. So when it does get contaminated, it does get dirty, it does have a plaque buildup. There are things you can do. You can clean your heart. Look at the man who was created as, as young boy David, a ruddy little young boy named David, who, who, who went on to be anointed to be the king, to be the successor to the throne of King Saul. Was anointed as a young little shepherd boy. Somebody no one would have given second look at. Yet out of all the brothers, the, the prophet went to him and anointed him to be the king. Do you know why? Because he was a man after God's own, say it with me, heart. See, he had a heartbeat for the things that would beat God's heart. He was passionate about being a shepherd. Why? Because he went on to write Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Watch this. He restores my soul. He wrote Psalm 40. I waited patiently on the Lord. I cried unto him. He heard my cry. 
He pulled me up out of the miry clay and out of the horrible pit. And he set my feet upon a rock. And he put a new song in my heart. And he established my goings. He wrote later in Psalm 91, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is my rock and my refuge, and Him will I trust. And on and on and on and on. He's a man after God's own heart. Yet in Psalm 51, in verse, verse 10, but let's back up to verse, uh, let me see where are we at, verses 9 through 12. He says these words, a man after God's own heart, the king of Israel, the shepherd boy, who stood in the face of nine feet Goliath and said, how dare you defy my God? I will slay you because God has already given me your head this day. That guy said this, hide my face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew the right spirit within me. Listen to this. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me in thy free spirit. Are you kidding me? This is a guy after God. Surely, Mark, this is not the writer of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want This is the guy who walked with God and was anointed as a young, little, ruddy shepherd boy. This is the guy who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Yeah, because this came on the heels of a bad heart problem. This comes on the heels. Psalm 51 was written after his dreadful sin with Bathsheba. King of Israel, man after God's own heart. Guys, that gives me something to hold on to. Even a man after God's own heart will fail if given half half of an opportunity. So what's the hope? To have a cleansing of my heart. Notice what he says. Create in me, God, a clean heart. Notice he didn't say, God, just help me to be better. God, here's what we do. God, just help me to get over this sin. God, help me to so when I go home at night, I can lay down and, and I can have this dreadful thing that I've done flee from me. He didn't say any of that, did he? God, help me to gain the trust for my people again. He didn't say that. God, help me to lead your kingdom good. You know what he didn't say any of those things. You know what he said? Create in me, meaning he was going back to the creative Elohim God, the one who framed the world by saying, let there be, and there was. And watch this. He's saying, breathe in my heart a state of consciousness so that I may have a renewed spirit. Not just forgive me. Not just I'm sorry, God, I broke your heart. I'm sorry I had intimacy out of wedlock with Bathsheba. I'm sorry that a boy was conceived. I'm sorry that he died. I'm sorry that I took Uriah, her her husband, and sent him to the front of battle, and he died. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He didn't say that. Hide not your face from me. God, I'm created in your image, in your likeness, and I have your heartbeat. As the band comes, listen to me. I want to go ahead and get them to come so we move on. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Comma, and renew the right spirit within me. Why? Because the outflow of having a clean heart is that I have a different condition. Restoring to me the joy. I love this. I could park all day on this, but I won't. I'll give you 10 seconds. If you're not passionately excited about the salvation that God has freely given you, something that cost him everything, You need to pray today, restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. You don't deserve it. Please never think you're innocent. No, 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 you're guilty. And I'm guilty. 
But when I stand before a holy God, my guilt has been placed on his account. Because here's the cool thing. When we stand before God, and we will. Really, we'll stand before Jesus, won't we? He's earned the right to be the judgment on both the beam seat of Christ, which is where we stand for rewards and the judgment seat, the white, great, great white throne judgment where all sinners are judged. And the reality is we'll hear one of two things. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter ye into all that I have prepared for you. Or you will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. But see, here's the thing. When I get a restored heart, it's that First John 1, 9. If you and I, if I confess my sin, he's faithful. Aren't you glad he's faithful this morning? He's faithful and he's just to forgive me of all of my sin and to cleanse me of all. Everybody say all. No, say it again. You didn't get that. Say all. All unrighteousness. So not only must I protect it, but I must clean my heart. And here's what will happen. We must change our words. I'm going to offer you a little caveat this morning. You cannot change your words. Yet I'm challenging you today to change your words. James 2, 3 Verse 2 says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in his word, he is a perfect man. I looked that word up. It means sinless. You mean to tell me that there's a scripture in there that says you can be perfect and you can be sinless? That's exactly what it says. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, if a man will not stumble in his words, he can be perfect. Comma. Also able to bridle his whole body. If he controls this tongue. He'll be sinless. He'll love. He'll forgive. He'll bridle his whole body. He will be a lover, a professional lover of mankind like Jesus was. And as you read on in verse 6 following, James chapter 3. And the tire, the, I'm sorry, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles or corrupts or contaminates the whole body. So if I could tame it, the whole body's set free. But it's a fire. It sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire by hell itself. For every kind of beast, he says, of bird, of reptile, of creature in the sea is tamed. And has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. That, that's frustrating to me. As I read this, I mean, I walk away with this and go, man, I'm going to shut James chapter 3 because it just told me I cannot tame my tongue. You got a potty mouth? You can't tame it. Some of you guys that were in the military, and I was in there, and I realized that was part of my vernacular. It's almost like they issued it to me when I went to basic training. Here's how you will talk. I'm not kidding. I mean, everybody called people names, and you talk this way. And, And I remember when I got saved... Bless my wife's heart. She said, Mark, you really got to watch what you say. You got to watch how you say it. I said, Stephanie, I love Jesus with all my heart. I know I'm a child of God, but I'll I'll never be able to quit cussing. And by the way, I will never stop listening to 96 Rock, so get over it. Because Free Bird is a good song. I promise you, they should make a hymn of that. That's what I told her. Simple man. I mean, can't you come in church? Simple. Anyway, she's not here, so I can cut up. Just kidding, baby, if you're watching my podcast. But you know what? I was right when I told her that. Baby, I can't quit cussing. It's part of my vernacular. I can't do it. And man, if I'd have known James 3 said that, I would, man, I'd have, look here, baby, I can't do it. God understands. No man can tame the tongue. It's unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So what's our hope? I'm glad you asked. 
Because the way I speak is not predicated on having a bad tongue. It's based on having a bad heart. When I change my heart, the things I say come out differently. i never forget. My dad did construction. And has anybody ever hit your thumb with a 17-ounce framing hammer? It's awesome. I promise you, if you're a child of God, the first thing in your mouth is praise the Lord. That's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Glory to God. It ain't. I don't care how spiritual you are. I may not curse today, but I guarantee you one thing. If I hit my thumb with a hammer and you write down a curse word, I'll sign my name next to it. That was good, wasn't it? You never thought about that, have you? Just saying. But I never forget the time my dad and I were working together. My dad and I, when we worked together, we were mean to each other. <laughs> what we're doing. I mean, we go to Jamaica and build houses for people. And I don't care what you said. We're going to do it this way. We get all frustrated because we were so much alike. I never forget the time I had I'd been saved and I was, I was following along and I was asking God to change my tongue, change my tongue. All along, He started changing my heart. I never forget that day. We're in Jamaica and I'm like, Kang! it hit my thumb and I went, oh my gosh. I didn't say something using God's name in vain. I didn't say a curse word. And it, and it really kind of spooked me because I thought, I did it. I died. My tongue's clean. My tongue was never clean because my tongue was never dirty. <laughs> God began to change my heart. Proverbs 18.21 says it this way. There's life and death in the power of your tongue. Do you know why Satan's attacking you guys? Because you're not taming your tongue. Do you know why you can't tame your tongue? Because you can't tame your tongue. You need to change your heart. And when you change your heart, guess what you won't do? Here's what you do, and here's what I do. When we start getting attacked, do you know why the enemy attacks you? It's because you tell him the things that scare you to death. God, I'm afraid I'm going to get that job. Guess what he's going to do before you go into that job? You know you ain't going to get this job. You know you're not good enough. Hey, God, I, I really want to have a great relationship, but I can't love my wife. Guess what he's going to say? You know you don't need to love her that way. You need to cut her loose what you need to do. See, the enemy uses the things because you're speaking it out loud, and he grabs it and brings it back. I'm afraid, God, that I won't know enough Scripture to share your faith, to lead somebody to Jesus. So when you get up and that moment in time comes and there's a lost soul on his way to a devil's hell and you want to share your faith, you know what the enemy says? You'll never be able to do it. You're going to make a mess of it. And you believe that jump because you've spoken it. Let me tell you what you do. James 4, 7, part B says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So here's what you do. You're afraid. How many of you are afraid? Come on, get your hands up. Everybody's afraid. You're not afraid. You're crazy. But it doesn't drive my heartbeat. Here's what I do. When Satan says something to me, he did a few minutes ago. Minutes ago. Mark, you're not going to remember those verses. You know, when you go out there, you so-and-so and so-and-so, somebody's going to think they don't like your best. And you know what I say? Those are your lies, and I'm no longer going to listen to your lies. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm going to listen to the promises of God that are yes and amen in Him. You know what I tell them then? I come walking out here. I'm a child of the king. I'm called to preach. I may not remember the scriptures, but you're going to call it back when I don't even know it. And it's not going to return unto you void. I don't know where I'm going. But, you know, I just know that God's called me. And I leave the details up to him. You're never going to be able to build this building. Praise God I'm not. Because he says, if I build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't want to build the church. The reality is you can't change your words until you change your heart. And then lastly, real, lastly got to change your walk. Last thing, Psalm 139. For 22 verses, 
psalmist David says, if I go over here, you're here. If I go over there, you're here. If I sit down, you're there with me. If I stand up, you're there with me. Before I speak, you know the words right well before they come off of my tongue because you know my heart. If I go down into the grave, you're there. He's speaking to the sovereignty of God for 22 verses. And then in verse 23, Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God. Watch what he says. I love this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts, indicating they're two different things. See if there be any wickedness in me, God. As I open the door for you to search my heart. Because some of you know, he will not impose himself upon you. He will not come into your home, into your life, into your marriage, into your finances, into your business, unless you open the door and allow him to come in. Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would open the door, I will come into him and him with me, and I'll sup with him, and we'll be together. We'll dine together. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wickedness, any wicked way in me. And then he goes on to say, as you do that, watch what happens. And lead me in your way everlasting. God just laid something in my heart. I'm going to say this out loud. Many of us who are Christians are dying before our physical death. Many Christians in the the world today are dying before their physical death. Before they breathe the last breath in this body, they are dying. And they're dying with a full load of unfulfilled, God-given destiny. You're dying spiritually because your heart is broken. Your heart is undone. Your heart is callous. Your heart is stifled. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew the right spirit within me. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wickedness in me. Lead me in your way everlasting. Heart change today. Heart change starts with one step. One step. Don't die today. With a full load of God-given potential that will never realize itself. Because you did not allow God to give you a heart transplant. Do you have a heart today for the things that God has a heart for? If the answer is no, let Him change your heart today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you could say, Mark, I mess up every day? I know I'm a sinner, but I'm a child of the Most High God. If I die today, I know. That I have heaven for a home. Would you lift your hand right now? Lift it up high if you know that you have heaven for a home. Come on, don't be ashamed of that. Hold it up high. Praise God. Put your hands down. Some hands could not go up today. Maybe today you're sitting there like I was in 1992 on October 29th. There's no way God could just simply forgive me. Well, the reality is, is he's already died for your sin. Forgiveness is already there for the taking. You don't have to clean your act up because Jesus got it right for you. But you can invite him into your heart today and receive him as Lord of your life. He'll change your heart. He'll come to dwell in your heart. The outflow of that will be a changed condition, a changed love, a changed walk, a changed talk, a changed spirit. You're depressed, he can change that. You're anxious, he can change that. You're fearful, he can change that. 
You're broken. He can fix it. Maybe today you just like to pray and invite Jesus into your heart. Right here and right now. Pray this with me from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. And I believe in Jesus. That God raised him from the dead. So today I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sin. Save me. Be the Lord of my life. And why don't you pray this today? God, give me a new heart. A heart for you. A heart for your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray that prayer today, the Bible says you've been born again. You've been given a new heart. You just had a transplant. I wonder, would you be so bold right now to just lift your hand up real quietly, real softly, right now, lift it up. God bless you, little one. God bless you, two guys. You, ma'am, over here. God bless you. Anyone else? Hold it up high. I prayed today and asked Jesus into my heart. The rest of you, maybe those that have been saved a long time, God, help me to have a heart for you. That's your prayer today. Just change my heart, God. I want you to lift your hand right now, all over the room. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Before you put your hand down, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to implore you. I don't care if you're holding a baby. I don't care if your leg hurts. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you're hungry. When I say amen, I want you all to stand to your feet. And those of you who have your hands up, I want you to come to this altar. I want you to pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's healing. Pray for a new heart. Pray for a new direction.